I'm Keaton Fletcher, an assistant professor of industrial organizational psychology at Colorado State University, and this is Healthy Work. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Work. I'm joined by another guest that I'm really excited to talk to today. The study is really cool and not something that we typically see in IO psychology because it is rooted in qualitative data. So we don't have those numbers that we're used to talking about. But I want to get out of the way and let our guests introduce themselves. Oh, well, thanks so much for having me on, Keaton. Uh, my name is Beth Stelson. I'm a PhD candidate at the Harvard School of Public Health in the Department of Social Behavioral Sciences. The the study I want you to talk to us about was recently published in Social Science and Medicine and is exploring the experience of working with long COVID, which I think is so important as right now as we're recording, I know that we're in another huge wave in the US anyways. Um, so this feels... Yeah, I'm actually getting over it right now. Oh no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it feels very timely. And so if you could just give us an overview of the study, that'd be great. Sure. So um, the first thing I want to share is that this is a patient-led study. So I'm part of an organization called the Patient-Led Research Collaborative, which is the, I would say, like one of the organizations that really put long COVID on the map. So at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020, when folks weren't bouncing back the way if with mild cases or medium cases that maybe they weren't going to the hospital for, they, we weren't always bouncing back the same way and trying to document what those symptoms were and how that was really actually leading to very some very complicated health issues and really impacting our, our quality of life. So I actually, I got involved in the organization in 2020 when I got, you know, sick March 2020, like a lot of folks, and didn't bounce back. And a friend sent me a survey that they were doing about trying to capture the symptoms that people were experiencing. It's a you know really wide diversity of symptoms, but then also how it was impacting our lives. And as soon as I took the survey, I messaged the group and was just like, this is very important. I really want to be involved. This is, in a way, kind of creates some meaning for my life as I'm trying to navigate this too. So from this data, it's, you know, they've been collecting this data over time. And it's what we call a mixed method study. So it collects quantitative data, but also qualitative. Uh, we have opportunities for participants to write in their experience and share, which is really important to kind of understanding what the quantitative data means, but also I think can be kind of almost cathartic too, as you're explaining what what has been going on in your life, what has been tough, what have the sports been. And so we ended up with this really rich data set to explore what are the lived experiences of people living with long COVID. And work is such an important part of our life. It is a financial necessity for, for most people. And it also creates meaning in our life too. And so we wanted to really dig down into that specific data. So we were just looking at the written responses that participants shared. And we randomly sampled about, I think it was a little over 500 participants and analyzed their data in a very systematic way. I think qualitative data also sometimes gets a bad rap for being kind of cherry picked of what people say. And we actually did it in a very systematic way with, with software and looking across from different theoretical perspectives, what participants were saying, and then really focusing on what it was like to return to work, if people could return to work, what were their supports, what were their barriers, what made it hard. And then from that, trying to figure out some recommendations that we could share with with businesses and organizations and also health professionals as well, because that is really the linchpin of helping folks get back to work. That's awesome. I 
<laughs> love that this was patient-led. I remember taking a class in graduate school in the School of Public Health talking about really getting community involvement of the people that you're studying, making sure that they have buy-in and are even collaborative partners in the research process themselves. But it's not something that I often see in our research in IO psychology. And so it was refreshing and exciting to see that in this study. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the rich data that you have and of that lived experience, I think is something that we, you know, often, as you mentioned, sort of ignore. <laughs> if we're only looking at the quantitative data, we're just looking at the numbers, you lose that context, you lose this, that human aspect. And I just really appreciated seeing it here. And so what did y'all find? So we analyzed it from what we call a total worker health perspective. And as somebody that focuses on the occupational sphere, that's that's the lens I kind of come to the world with. So it's the way kind of that we analyzed the data was looking at, okay, what are the factors that affect people's ability to return to work and, and do the work and stay healthy if they can, um, relapsing and remitting conditions. I mean, that's that's kind of what long COVID experience is. So we're looking at factors within the organization, but also outside of the organization. So what's happening in people's lives at home? Uh, what is the role of medical providers? I mentioned that earlier and how that intersects with the work environment. So total worker health kind of helps us broaden our purview of what we see as occupational health. And it also focuses on things that are a little different than traditional like industrial hygiene in terms of exposures to also be thinking about kind of the, what we call the psychosocial work environment, the stressors, potentially burnout and stigma, those types of things. So in, in this study, we, well, we came up with four primary themes. And so that's what's a little bit different about qualitative analysis than quantitative analysis, you usually come up with some kind of themes, some patterns that are emerging in the data. So one theme that we found was that participants really wanted to come back to work, that they really needed to come back to work out of financial necessity and also kind of to find purpose in their in their lives. And I think because it's sometimes hard to medically determine what exactly is going on with somebody with long COVID, there is some kind of believe that maybe people are malingering or something like that. And that's really not the case. And people really do want to come back back to work. Another theme that we heard a lot about was just how these fluctuating symptoms really interacted with the work environment and the home environment. So people shared how they could only work if they have caregivers, if they have the support system at home that allowed them to just work. And then at the end of the day, like go back to bed and have meals brought to them and, you know, doing nothing but focusing on recovery so that they could return to work. And then within the, the work site, so having kind of various degrees of support from colleagues and, and coworkers, it was really helpful for folks to be able to work remotely, for example, and have that flexibility from supervisors. We also then heard just exactly how different work tasks um, and the job demands then often exacerbated symptoms. So screen time, for example, having to be cognitively on for long periods of time, whether that's reading or being in meetings, was very taxing, could lead to what we call crashes, but also kind of exacerbating the, the brain fog, the feelings of kind of your limbs feeling like lead and just like not being able to get out of bed. We also heard a lot about kind of this, the disbelief and stigma 
that's also surrounding long COVID. And this emerged both interpersonally, so between coworkers, between supervisors, where maybe they said that like they didn't really believe that they were experiencing this or the, how well they worked, but when they actually weren't well at all, but also structurally. And so by that, I mean that people were required to, for example, to get access to accommodations and supports, workers' comp, be able to show a positive test. And we know those tests are fallible, that you get false negatives in the beginning of the pandemic. And many folks that got sick at the beginning of the pandemic are still dealing with long COVID. There was a limited limited access to testing, so you might never even been able to have had the opportunity for that documentation. And we also know that you can develop long COVID after asymptomatic COVID or acute COVID infection. And so we know that this documentation isn't necessarily great at proving whether or not you've had COVID, but that was what people, what providers were requiring in order to sign off on on accommodations or work leave so people could better recover to return to work. But providers don't necessarily need to have a positive swab, so to speak, in order to, to provide that diagnosis. And what workers also shared in the study is they had also some healthcare providers that were willing to say like, hey, these are the symptoms you're experiencing. This is this will, sounds like long COVID to me. I believe you. And that was really effective for then helping them to get the supports that they need. So in, in this study, we really found that the healthcare providers are the linchpin for helping folks return to work and, and get the supports that they, they need. And I think a traditional occupational health perspective maybe would miss that because it's outside of the work environment. And we need to be looking broader and kind of more holistically at people's lives. Yes, like understanding that that workers are embedded in broad systems, right? They're not just workers. They're people with obviously health problems that have to interact with healthcare professionals or have support at home. I love that your study integrates across all these and really highlights that system level perspective of this experience. Yeah. And so I I just love how your study integrates that systemic perspective. And so I'm curious, I mean, because there is so much in here, was there anything that, you know, as a researcher, but also someone who had the experience of uh, long COVID that surprised you in the data or in the findings? Yeah. So that's, that's a really good question. And I was, I was thinking about that and I would say also because I have been in conversation with so many people living with long COVID and these online support groups. And it's, you know, it is a what's considered a disease that's really been made by patients that we have brought it to the forefront that I can say, I wouldn't say there's a ton that really surprised me, but it needs to be documented that this is the lived experience of so many people. But because it's an emerging issue, we, we need to better establish this in in science, in the literature, being able to disseminate that information for employees and employers. And so for, for us and our research team, I would say a lot really resonated with not maybe our own experience, but the experiences we had heard from other people that we've been advocating for as part of the patient-led research collaborative. One of the things, though, that did surprise me outside of the data was doing some more digging in terms of thinking about how do we convince employers that 
this is important that we really do need to be supporting people living with long COVID. And you might've heard, um, it really came out last summer about when all the, they're experiencing so many labor shortages and that actually a sizable proportion of the labor force seems to have dropped off because of long COVID. And there's some recent economic analysis that seemed to support that. And then if you also start looking at the kind of larger body of literature surrounding disability and work, it actually makes really good business sense to try to accommodate workers. So it's there's a moral imperative to it, I believe, but there's also a, a business uh, rationale for it in that there's usually less turnover with workers when they're better supported with, um, if they have disabilities. And that, you know, we know that there's a lot of costs associated with turnover and higher and retraining. And also um, other researchers have found that it's given businesses this competitive advantage. And so this has been de- demonstrated with other disabilities. And in the U.S., long COVID can be protected as a disability. What so we we haven't you know it's such a new topic that we haven't necessarily seen that specifically with long COVID but this is a mass disabling event right so it stands to reason that the same things would be true for businesses with long COVID too and from from our perspective as the patient led research collaborative and we really try to um, align ourselves and ally ourselves with uh, disability rights generally and other health conditions we have an aging workforce. We have a workforce that has increased chronic conditions, and so many of which might be a disability. And then with that, then you're also going to have more caregivers in the workforce, too, that are caring for people that are older or have these chronic conditions. And so we need to be thinking about what about the workplace can we make more worker-centric in terms of creating those supports that we might have this opportunity with long COVID because so many people are experiencing it that we can take a hard look at the work environment and figure out ways that we can really support workers across the lifespan, across what happens in their lives so that we can keep them in in the workforce and that we can make sure that they're getting their paychecks and their insurance. Um, and also that um, kind of from the from the economic perspective that we're able to kind of sustain the economy too. Yeah, I, there's just so much there. Sorry, I'm like processing how important this is and how big this is. I guess, you know, you hit on a lot of recommendations for employers and even policymakers. But if, you know, I'm a worker with long COVID or someone I love is trying to get back into the workforce with long COVID, what recommendations do you have? Mm, That's such a good question. Um, So in terms of recommendations, I think the first thing is to find a medical provider that believes you and that also is knowledgeable about this. So I think there are more and more medical providers that understand what's going on, but that's not everybody. And so, and I've experienced that firsthand. And then there's also folks that say like, I know that this is an issue, but I know nothing about this. And so one of the challenges that we have in the United States, along with other countries, is that there are only limited a number of long COVID clinics. And those are folks that are trying to really kind of specialize in, in how to support long COVID patients. If you live near one, that is great. I would get try to get connected with them. But depending on your insurance, you know, in the US, it's such a complicated environment and there's so many barriers, but trying to find somebody that really believes you and can help you document it. Now, our recommendations in the paper is actually to get away from that documentation, that people don't fabricate this. They're not lying about this. So why don't we just believe workers and support them? But the reality is right now we're not there. And so I think finding somebody that can help you document it is really important. 
I would also say in terms of a recommendation is be as transparent early as possible if you can. You know, we I think we worry so much about not being able to perform the way we once were. How were we able, you know, how might this affect our performance evaluation? What are people's perceptions of me? Um, and the reality is when you get acute COVID, you don't always know how you're going to recover, if you're going to fully recover, even as the virus changes. When you get, there's documentation that suggests that the more times that you contract COVID, it also increases your risk of long COVID. So just because you haven't gotten in the past doesn't mean you won't get in the future. So letting your supervisor, letting your maybe to HR know that you are sick and that and kind of then laying the groundwork so that if you do need to ask for accommodations and support, maybe you need to work from home. Elevating your legs helps so many people. Being able to have those long range deadlines so you can self-pace is so important. Those types of, of factors can if you can advocate for that, but also if you can let people know earlier rather than later that you need help, you can kind of build in that expectation and support. Now that wholly depends on who your supervisor is, who your boss is, you know? Um, and so I, I making this recommendation, knowing that everybody's situation is hugely variable. I think those were would be the, the top ones, but I want to say that I really think it is the onus of businesses of organizations to be supporting their workers, not the workers themselves. Like, sure, we need to be transparent about what you're experiencing. We need to, if we need help, we need to ask for it. But you also have to create an environment that's people feel comfortable to ask for what they need and what they deserve and the supports. This is a protected condition, but that doesn't mean that people get necessarily what they what they need and deserve. Absolutely. Well, my last question for you is why do you do this work broadly? Oh, that's um, such a meaningful question that I think sometimes we lose sight of in, in research. For me, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a total worker health researcher, and most of my research actually focuses on the healthcare and social service work environment. I'm, my background is as a licensed social worker. But for me, you know, I got sick, as I mentioned, March 2020, and just had the rug pulled out from under me in terms of what what career can I have? Will I recover? I'm doing a lot better now. But there was, these were a lot of very pressing questions and a lot of question marks on, on my future and our future as a family. And so for me, it was really, you know, I'm in research, right? So this is, it's maybe it's a coping mechanism that I want to dive into the data and also then give voice to what other folks were experiencing. But I... I think I also, you know, you want to be cautious also because my experience is not necessarily the experience of others. It's very tempting to have that hat and then read everything that way. So I do want to be cautious about that. But I'm in a position now, too, where I'm doing a lot better, where not everybody is. And so I'm in this position to to share what I've experienced and to help give voice to other people to get this information out there so that we can make work environments healthier and safer for folks and also increase the recognition of long COVID in the work environment. That's awesome. And you're doing it. This research is, I think, just so cool and so important. And thank you for for doing it and giving voice to people who might not have otherwise been heard. Yeah, thank you. Um, Bye. Bye. Thanks for having me. Healthy Work is a podcast written and produced by Keaton Fletcher and Mariana Arvon, mixed and edited by Keaton Fletcher, artwork by Keaton Fletcher, 
and our music is Zero Micro Song by Steve Combs. Please like us, follow us, and subscribe on whatever podcatching software you use, and leave a review in the iTunes store. It really does help get us out there.